right, David, thank you so much for leading us in that time of singing and praise. And this morning, friends, I have a special treat for you since it's Father's Day. We are going to put our study in the book of Acts on hold for next Sunday. And today I have a special Father's Day message for all of us. And I know that Father's Day can be a, a happy day, a wonderful day if you're a, a father of children living at home like I am. It is just so wonderful and precious to raise children and get to go through those formative years of their lives, teaching them about the things of God and the things of God's creation and preparing them for a meaningful and fruitful adult life. But we also know that parenting can be very challenging. We also know that growing up uh, in our various home situations can be very challenging. Some people had absent fathers, some people had neglectful fathers, some people had wonderful fathers. But in any case, what I want to point us to today as the Christian church is that all the best that earthly fathers can do is point to the true and better Heavenly Father. And I think perhaps of any single story that communicates God's heart as a father, it's the parable of the prodigal son. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn it this time to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And we're going to read the parable of the lost son. And that is going to be beginning in verse 11 through 32. So Luke 15, 11 through 32, and we're going to read the passage as a whole. It's a beautiful story. I don't want to interrupt it. We're going to read it. We're going to pray over this story, which I know is very familiar uh, to many of you, but I'm praying that it'll penetrate our hearts in a new and profound way, and then we'll get into our time of teaching. So let's read the passage together. This is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, 
and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he, had, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you have never given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and now is found. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this word. That this word has the power to change lives. This word is the power to raise the dead to life. This word has the power to penetrate to the deepest recesses of our hearts, to reveal in us whatever sin may still reside within our hearts. Lord, it's our prayer today that if there are any who have wandered from the Father's house, who are squandering their lives with reckless living. If there are any, perhaps, who are maintaining an outwardly moral and religious life, but nevertheless, they do not do so for love of the Father, and they have no love for those who are lost in prodigal living. Lord, we pray you would convict our hearts this morning. Reveal the heart of the gospel to each of us. Reveal your love as a father greater, more perfect than any human father could ever be. And may we all be changed by your heart. May we all enter into your feastal joy. May we then partake of this mission of the gospel to welcome sinners into the banquet of their Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now again, I know this story is uh, very familiar to all of us. I, I think it's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, and it really does capture the heart of God and the heart of the gospel. We all know that the Bible contains many rules and practices and commandments and certainly the the way of Christian faith is a, a high standard. As a matter of fact, it's higher than we could ever possibly achieve on our own. And yet sometimes we can get the mistaken notion that Christianity is we are made right with God through our own works or through our own obedience. But what we're seeing is we're actually made right 
not because of who we are, but because of who the Father is. But I think what this parable probes is those two things. It probes the heart of the Father, because I think many times we really don't understand the heart of God for sinners. We really don't. And on the other times, we, we also don't really understand the fundamental problem of sin and the different ways in which that fundamental sin can manifest itself differently. And so I want to walk through the details of this story and I want to begin to apply it because, of course, it applies to all of us today, just as it applied to Jesus' first audience 2,000 years ago. So beginning in verse 11, it says, Now a certain man had two sons. Now, the important thing to remember is that this really is a parable of two sons. We often call it the parable of the prodigal son. And, of course, there's reason for that. It begins with him. It's focused on him. There's a fair amount of detail about him. But really, it is a parable of two sons. And so we miss out on what is being revealed here if we don't acknowledge that not only is the prodigal important to focus on, but the elder brother as well. So it's a story of two sons. It also says a certain man. And of course, we need to realize who this certain man is. This certain man is God. God's heart for sinners is being revealed in this parable. God is like this father. And so again, that's at best, and we all know earthly fathers fall short, some terribly short, but all earthly fathers fall short, and yet they are meant to point to, represent in some passing imperfect way, the love of the Heavenly Father. That's our goal as fathers today, is to somehow, some way, represent the heart of God the Father to our children. So a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, this is audacious. And it certainly fixed the character of the younger brother in the rest of the parable. He's clearly self-absorbed. He's reckless. He's foolish. He has no sense whatsoever and no respect for his father. Normally, of course, what the portion would be, the inheritance of this younger brother, it would not be his until either the father was so old he was no longer able to manage it himself, or else the father dies. And yet neither of those scenarios is being envisioned here. The father is perfectly competent and capable to manage his own affairs, and he is certainly not dead, he is alive. And yet the son basically looks at the father and says, I don't love you, I just love what you can give me. That's the picture that's being painted here. I don't love you. I just love the stuff that you give me. Now, of course, Jesus has a first century audience, and we would be remiss if we didn't point out that he is talking to the Pharisees, so the focus probably is on the elder brother. But the younger brother represents the, the tax collectors, the sinners, the publicans, those people that were outwardly and obviously outside the kingdom of God. And yet I think we would also be remiss theologically if we did not understand that this represents humanity. We can actually see humanity represented both in either the younger brother or the elder brother, or in some ways, both. The truth is I think we can see a bit of both in us in some regard. 
Now, here's a way in which the younger brother represents all of us, including those of us who lived more or less an elder brother kind of life. We obeyed our mother and father. We kept the rules. We, we worked hard. We were disciplined. We went straight to college after high school. We were focused. We got great grades. We went on to graduate schools. We got great jobs. We got married. We had children. We paid our taxes. We were civilly, civically responsible, all, all those kinds of things. And yet, the Bible would say even to that kind of person, if you don't love God, even if you're a moral person, you're like the younger brother in that what you're saying is that God, give me my stuff. You made me. You gave me the gifts and talents and resources. You've given me creation. You've given me the beauty of the sunset. You've given me the beauty of the ocean. You've given me the joy of sharing a meal with my family on a Father's Day. You've given me all that, but I don't want you. In that regard, even an outwardly elder brother type person can have a younger brother type of heart. And it's important that we acknowledge this. So the father, interestingly, this younger son, dad, you're dead to me. I just want your stuff. Notice what the father does. I think naturally, many of us earthly fathers, certainly if we see our, our son or our daughter wanting to spend what we're giving them on reckless living, we're, we're probably going to be like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. But to some extent, I think we acknowledge in the end, there's nothing you can do. And again, we're talking about, say, a, an adult when they hit the teenage years or they're, they're 18, they're legally an adult and all that kind of stuff. At some point, you're in the father's circumstance. There's nothing you can do. They're going to do what they're going to do. And the father basically says, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to show you I love you. I'm, I'm going to give you what you're asking for, but I'm going to let you go. And that's a very hard thing to do. I think many times we, we don't want to do that. We don't want to let go because we're, we're scared they're going to do what the younger brother's doing. And, and yet ultimately, sometimes that has to happen, doesn't it? Sometimes the only hope for a prodigal is that we let go. And they're able to make their journey and do what they're going to do and experience what they're going to experience in the hope that one day they'll come home. And so we see the father doing that. He, he acquiesced to the request of the younger brother and he gives him what he's asking for. Verse 13, and it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now notice it says he journeyed to a far away country. In other words, he was doing everything that he was doing as far away from the father as possible. Do you see that? This is not, father, give me your stuff, I'm moving next door. This is, I want out of your sight. I don't want you to look at what I'm doing. I don't want you to see what I'm doing. I'm cutting you off. That's effectively what the younger son is doing. He's cutting off the father, taking what the father has, cutting off the father, and going as far as he possibly can so that he is no longer in view of the father. I think that's how many people live today. That's what sin is really about. It is like the fig leaves, the trees in the Garden of Eden. People are trying to hide. They're trying to run as fast and as far from God the Father as they possibly can, burying themselves in all kinds of sins, or perhaps not sin on the surface, but burying themselves and hiding themselves nevertheless, perhaps like the elder brother, 
hiding behind their work, just hiding and busy and material possessions, just hiding so that they are not within view of the Father. Notice that he went away to a far country, and there it says he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Again, the word prodigal means reckless. That this son didn't even use it in a just even earthly wise way. For example, he could have run away and just said, hey, I don't like you, but I'm going to invest in the stock market and I'm going to do my research or I'm going to go get an education and I'm going to pay for my own education with the father's money. No, this is the kind of son that literally is going to waste it. He's actually going to spend money on ruining his life. And again, how tragic is that when people take the good that God gives them and they use it for evil? They use it to actually try to destroy their own lives. And it's amazing that God turns people over to that. He allows them to do that. But it says in verse 14, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Now notice, to some extent, the prodigal son is responsible for his predicament. He's the one who, in pride and rebellion, cut himself off from his own father, moved away to a far country, blew all his money. But now notice this. There's sort of a naivete when you live at home. You can critique your, your earthly mother or father. You can critique how they raised you. But you really don't understand until you move out on your own the roof that they provide over you. And I don't mean just the physical roof, although that too, but the way that parents shield you from so much of the reality and the responsibility and the pain and the brunt of life as it comes. And so this young man has not only blown it on things he was responsible for, now he's feeling the weight of a famine that he's not responsible for. The prodigal son did not cause the famine. He didn't bring it on. It's not his fault, but it is a part of life. And he no longer has the roof of the father to protect him from this circumstance of life. Now notice here, after wasting everything he has, after a famine hitting him, notice even now, he does not return home. He is still thick-headed, stubborn, rebellious. He's like, okay, things are really bad. I'm starting to hit bottom, but I am not going home. I will not repent. I will not go back to the Father. I'm just going to Try to sink to a new low here. I'm going to find another way out other than coming home to the Father. And so it says, verse 15, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. Now notice this, and this is the essence of sin. The essence of sin is slavery. Rather than going home to the Father and being free, he sells himself. He becomes a slave. The New Testament teaches us that anyone who gives themselves to sin is a slave of sin. The world is telling people that the way of freedom is the way of sin, that sin is freedom. Doing whatever you want to do, that's true freedom. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Giving yourself over to sin, though it may appear you choose to do it in the beginning, soon thereafter you realize that the end of it is slavery and death. Sin is a cruel taskmaster. But rather than going home to the love and grace of the Father, this younger brother sells himself. Notice that, that he also says he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now this is an 
important part to recall the context. Because in this parable, of course, Jesus is Jewish and he's speaking to a Jewish audience. And pigs are not kosher. You are not to feed them, keep them, touch them. And this is a picture of, look, even as a sinner who doesn't want God, everyone has something of a moral code left, right? Like there's still something you say to yourself, though I may do bad things, I don't do that thing. I mean, even the Italian mafia, for example, had their own Ten Commandments. Even though you're going to go out and kill people as a part of your business model, yet even they said, there's certain things we don't do. And this is a picture of, wow, even though you reject God's law, you say, well, I'm not going to conform to that. I think God's laws are ridiculous. Yet, you probably have certain things you value. You have values. And you say, well, at least I'm not like that. And this is a picture of someone who is violating even their own values. Hitting rock bottom. That's really the picture here. It says in verse 16, And he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Do you see how bad things have gotten for this son? Even the pigs are now being cared for better than he. The pigs have food. This young man is being treated lower than the swine. That is the place to which his sin has finally brought him. Verse 17 but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Notice the beginning of verse 17. But when he came to himself. In other words, sin is irrational. When you give over to sin, it is as though you are out of your mind. Even though so many people are out of their minds in sin, that it becomes normal. And yet the Bible says that is not normal, at least in the primary sense of the way God intended the world to be and the way he intended human beings to live. We are out of our minds when we are living in sin. And I think those of us who have been found by Christ, whether a younger or an elder brother, we can testify that when the Holy Spirit drew us to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, it was as though we had come to our minds for the first time. We came to ourselves. We, we came around. We woke up from a deep slumber. So when he came to himself, he hatched a plan. Now notice, we still don't have what I see as being true repentance yet. Notice, this isn't about, oh, how I've wronged my father and how wonderful he was and how right he was and how wrong I am. Notice this. This is still about selfishness. This is still selfishly motivated. I'm in a really, really bad place and I just now am willing to acknowledge and humble myself to the point where I had it better, I had it better at home than I did in the world. And that's the idea. And so he hatches a plan, born out of his own self-seeking desire. He says, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, though we may not have true repentance at this point, we are seeing humility. 
And notice what brought him to humility, friends. Affliction, trials, suffering, consequences. Imagine if the father had somehow shielded the prodigal son from the affliction, from the trials. I know as earthly parents, we do that all the time. We're tempted to do it. We're tempted to what we call now enable the prodigal to continue living that way. But at some point, we have to realize that the school of affliction, the school of trials, of hard knocks, is sometimes the only lesson the sinner will ever learn. And we have to acknowledge that and not stop that from working in a sinner's life. So he humbles himself and, and he's not going to go back and say, hey, I'm your son and I want my place back. He's actually saying, I've blown it and things are never going to be the same. He's humble enough to admit that, but he's hoping if I can at least be like one of your servants, I'll be better off than I was before. Verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But here's the heart of the father, which is the heart of God for sinners. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. It says, but when he saw him afar off, now that word, Quran, is the same word used previously when it says that the younger son took all he had and went away to a far country. He went away as far as he could. That's the same word being used here. In other words, even though the son went as far as he could go, the father kept his eye as far away as he could see. It was as though Though the father did let him go and allowed him to suffer the consequences of his sins, yet he never took his eye off his wayward son. He was waiting for his son to come home. And when he saw him, it says he had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Notice the humility and the love of the father. You may not know this, but in ancient times, elders, princes, kings, landowners. It was not respectable to run. You would send a servant to run and carry a message. You would not run. It was considered not dignified. And yet this father seems to con con just forget convention and he runs. He runs after his son. He doesn't care what he looks like. He runs to his son. I love what Martin Luther said about this. He said, why did the father run? Perhaps it was because he was so afraid that his son might change his mind on the way home that he ran to get him before he could turn around and go back to the pig pen. The father is running out of love and compassion and he falls on his neck and he kisses him. Now the son begins his rehearsed speech. He's going to say what he's going to say, but I want you to notice he gets cut off in the middle. He never gets around to proposing to become a servant of the father. He says in verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's cut off. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Friends, this is a picture of God's heart for sinners 
and it's a picture of grace. Grace is not getting what you deserve. It is getting what you don't deserve. It is getting the loving, generous gifts and disposition of God towards sinners through the righteousness of Christ. Now, some people point out that this parable certainly doesn't touch on every aspect of Christian theology. An apparently missing one, of course, is atonement. Well, where is the need to atone for the prodigal sins? And though it's certainly not explicated here, I think it is hinted at through a couple of things in this celebration. The first is the robe being placed around. The Apostle Paul talks about being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are actually clothed, not in our own works, but in the righteousness of Christ. It is as though, though this sinner is tainted and fallen and there's nothing he can do to warrant the grace of God, and yet God is gracious by disposition. He loves sinners. He is the creator of all people. And though all are estranged from him and born not in right relationship, yet God is pursuing sinners. And when they come home, he wraps them in the royal robe of the righteousness of Christ. If we will trust in him, he puts the signet ring and notice it says sandals on his feet. And again, that points back to when the servant gave himself. It says he hired himself. He gave himself in service. He was a slave and slaves don't have shoes. The picture of giving shoes is this man is being adopted once again into the family of God. He's being set free. He is no longer a slave, but a son. We also see atonement here in the fatted calf. And again, a calf had to die. The choicest of the calves, the fattened one, the one set aside for a special occasion. That is the one that must be slaughtered in order for rejoicing to have its place. And so though I agree that atonement is not focused on here, and yet it undergirds the entire story. It's what makes the story possible. And it's hinted at into the details here. Notice what the father says in verse 24. This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Whenever a sinner is saved, it is as though a relational resurrection has happened. Of course, we all know we believe in a literal bodily resurrection. Just as Christ literally died and rose again, so too we will one day die and rise again. But in advance of that, and as a guarantee of that, God is first raising us from the dead spiritually and relationally. That is the true and deeper death. When God warned Adam and Eve that in the day you eat of this, you will die, some mockers say, well, they didn't physically die on that day. But to any pious Jew, they would have understood that the greater death is not physical death, but being cast out from the glorious presence of God. That is the great death. And through Christ, through faith in him and what he has done, we are resurrected to new life. We come home and we experience adoption into the family of God. Now, here's where the story focuses now on the elder son. 
And as I said, while I think we can all fit internally, either the younger or the elder brother, yet externally we can say some people fit more the prodigal mold, others more the elder mold. And for many people who have been believers for a long time, we have to be careful. We don't start moving into the elder brother mold. It happens all the time in churches. People get cleaned up, they get saved, they change their life, they get moral, they stop doing this and this and this bad behavior. And then when sinners wrapped up in those things come into the church, many times they chase them out. They don't want them there. They don't want to go to church with people who are like a prodigal. They want their church nice and squeakly clean, and that means keeping sinners out of the church. But if we get into that mentality, we're falling into this elder brother sort of mold. Let's take a look at that as we close. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near, he drew near the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things mean. And he said to him, your brother is come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Now again, even though outwardly the elder brother is seemingly keeping the rules, right? So he's a picture of, of a Christian. He's somebody who's in the church or, or at this time uh, one of the Pharisees re religiously observing the, the law of Moses. So outwardly we're doing it. But here's one of the key ways in which our heart is revealed. Not so much in the externalities of keeping various rules and not doing blatantly obvious sins, but do we love sinners? Do we love those that are dead in their trespasses and sins? Are we willing to enter into the same house, the same family, the same church as people who come up from terribly messed up lifestyles and continue to manifest some of those things while in the community of the church? Are we willing? And here's the sin of the elder brother. But he was angry and would not go in. Externally, he was conformed to the moral law, religious law. Internally, he did not love the father. And he did not love his brother. The two key laws on which Jesus actually said, the entire law of Moses hanged. Loving God, loving your brother. And this elder brother, though a moral upstanding citizen, has violated both of the greatest commandments. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to him, to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I, and again the word is slaving for you. So now he was, he was keeping the rules, but he was kind of angry about it. I'm doing it to get what I deserve, not because I love you. Lo, these many years I have been slaving for you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, as soon as this son of yours comes in, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Again, do you see that? He does not love the father. He does not love his brother. And it's revealed he's only been keeping the rules because he wants a certain kind of life for himself. And the rules are not a means of loving God, but of loving himself. The father replies, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It's, it's right, son, that you kept the rules. But it was also right 
that we should make merry and be glad. It, it's not just it is right. In Greek, it is a day, which means it was necessary. So it was not permissible that I welcomed your younger brother back and celebrated. It was necessary. It was according to the grace of God. It was necessary that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Friends, as we close this morning, I believe that God is calling us home. One of the great things Jesus did in his ministry was to reveal that in and through him, we are invited to call God our Father. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus referred to God as his Father over 150 times in the Gospels. This was not a normal way of talking about God to Jews in the day of Jesus. Oh, sure, in the Old Testament, Israel collectively could be referred to as as God's son or, or Yahweh's firstborn, but individual Jews didn't just go around calling God their father. You see that as the Pharisees wanted to actually kill Jesus for calling God his father in seemingly such a cavalier way. And yet this is what the gospel makes possible. The Bible teaches that all of us are created by God, everyone. Doesn't matter whether you're an atheist, agnostic, Hindu, Muslim, no beliefs, whatever, born in a Christian. We are all created by God, but we are all estranged by sin. We are all either the younger brother, we're immoral, just given to pleasure, or we're the elder brother. Maybe we're moral people, but we don't love the father, and we don't love the younger brother. In any way that our heart falls short of God's heart for us, that is an area of sin in our lives in which we need to come to God and see that he is a heavenly father who rejoices over sinners. If you're somebody watching who has wandered away, you're squandering your life on reckless, foolish living, the invitation is come home. On this Father's Day, come home to your true and better heavenly father. He is waiting with outstretched arms. No, he's not waiting. If you will respond to him today, he's running, running towards you to wrap his arms around you, to kiss you and weep with joy and to celebrate with you. Perhaps you're an elder brother. You're somebody who says, some people need Christianity, but I don't. I, I keep the rules. I have a good life. I don't do really bad things. But the Bible would say you're dead in your sin also because you don't love the Father. You just love what he can give you. And being outwardly moral is just your way of doing what the younger brother was trying to do. You need to overcome your pride to see that if we fall short of the love and grace of God, we are sinners in need of a Savior. I know for us who've been in the church many years, that's probably the thing we need to watch out for, is the elder brother syndrome. At Image Church, we never want to become a church that is insulated from sinners that like the Pharisees doesn't want to see people get saved, that is so preoccupied with us and what we're doing and keeping things nice and squeaky clean that when a broken, messed up sinner comes into our church, we say, uh, why are we welcoming them here? Our hearts need to break over sinners the way the fathers did for the prodigal son. 
it is my prayer that on this Father's Day, the heart of the Father would come home to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that it is in and through Jesus Christ, the one and only begotten Son, that by faith in him, whoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, whether we are an irreligious person, immoral person on the outside like the younger brother, or whether we're a moral, religious person like the elder brother, yet we all in our own way fall short of the glory and the grace and the love of our Heavenly Father. Lord, if we've in any way got this idea that sells you short of your love for sinners, that your eye is on that faraway country in which they've hidden, looking for their shadow on the horizon, if they're coming to you in faith, that you run to them and you will embrace them. They can come home today. Lord, let us be changed by your love on this Father's Day. Let us remember our true and better Heavenly Father and let us live faithfully through the Father's love. Use us, we pray, to bring glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just a couple of announcements before we close and you get to go celebrate your Father's Day today. Uh, first is for those of you that would like to continue to worship our Heavenly Father together through tithes and offerings. There's two ways you can do that. Um, number one, you can give online on our website, which is imagechurchoc.com, and you're able to give on the giving tab up there at the top. Another way is if you prefer to mail in a tither offering, you can do so to our mailing address, which is 27762 Antonio Parkway, Ellis and Larry 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California, 92694. That's on our website, imagechurchoc.com. Uh, tomorrow night, we have a community group gathering in San Juan Capistrano at the home of Jim and Linda Harris. Again, this is a beautiful way of becoming a part of the body and fulfilling God's vision, our Heavenly Father's vision for the church. So Sunday is kind of our, our large corporate gathering. We meet there for praise and worship and teaching of the Word of God and celebrating the Lord's Supper together and prayer and anointing of oil and, and all these things. But the primary focus there isn't on really getting to know individuals within the church. And that's so vital that we know the body of Christ and we come together. And that is what community groups accomplish. So much of what ministry happens isn't just the pastor. It's the ministry you do for others, loving your brothers and sisters, the younger brothers, the elder brothers, coming together at the Lord's table and knowing one another. And that's what we do. So we encourage you, if you're in the San Juan area tomorrow, we would invite you to join us at that community group. You can get information uh, about that by emailing us at information at imagechurchoc.com and we'll send you the time and the address. Uh, also, we have a Wednesday night study. We're going through the book of Exodus. So I encourage you to join us for join us. Join us for our Wednesday night study through Exodus. That'll be at 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And we'll be meeting next Sunday in person in San Juan at 10.30 a.m. So we would love to see you in person if you're able to make it. And also, we have, we'll have a really great announcement coming soon, weekly in-person services. So getting back to normal is going to be happening very, very soon uh, in just a few weeks. So we'll be announcing the exact date for that, but we'll be joining each other again weekly very, very soon. 
Before we go, let me close with this prayer of blessing. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in order that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask for blessing on each one of you today in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God bless you all and hope to see you again soon.